This is Guns and Butter. Essentially, most of the problems come from uh, the Clinton administration and uh, his uh, repeal of Glass-Steagall in 1999. What happened is that these commercial banks that in the past provided these basic services, checking accounts and normal credit cards, have all become financial parasites by merging with predatory real estate lenders, predatory investment bankers, and uh, they've become something entirely different from what they were uh, 10 years ago. So the problem is that over and above, uh, wrapped around these basic essentials that banks provide, they've all of a sudden taken on their basic identity from more and more parasitic, purely extractive activities that don't add anything to the means of production or to the real economy, but merely siphon off, rake off charges and fees for everything they provide. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, Obama's Republican Class War Presidency. Michael Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst, and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super-Imperialism, the Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of The Myth of Aid and Global Fracture, the New International Economic Order. Dr. Hudson has written many articles on the current global financial crisis. A few of his most recent articles that we discuss today are Wall Street's Power Grab, the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission hearings, Mr. Obama's junk economics, Democrats relinquish the populist option to the Republicans, and the Bernanke reappointment. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Dr. Michael Hudson, welcome. Thank you very much, Bonnie. What was your assessment of Obama's State of the Union speech? Well, uh, it's what he didn't say that's important. Uh, He stopped proposing the Consumer Financial Products Agency that originally had been the centerpiece of his financial reform. Uh, So he intends not to reform uh, Wall Street and the lines that uh, Elizabeth Warren had proposed and uh, that he'd promised to do after the $13 trillion uh, bank bailout. Uh, Also, he uh, was too shy to uh, mention that he'd fought uh, tooth and nail over the weekend to get Mr. Bernanke reappointed at the uh, Federal Reserve so that he could continue to impose his anti-labor parties on the rest of the uh, country. So essentially, what uh, Mr. Obama did was relinquish uh, any thoughts of uh, playing the populist card to the Republicans. Now, that's pretty ironic. Um, Nobody a year ago would have dreamed that the Bush administration, which people uh, voted out of power overwhelmingly, would now be looked at as the friend of the people, more friendly, more populist, more uh, consumer-friendly than the Obama administration. But uh, Mr. Obama, by uh, uh, fighting to reappoint uh, the right-winger, Mr. Bernanke, uh, who has stated that his policy is to uh, increase 
increase credit, which means increasing debt, raising home prices again, raising uh, financial prices, untaxing uh, real estate and finance, and shifting the tax burden onto consumers. This is uh, a policy that uh, George Bush never could have got away with. Imagine a year ago if somebody would have come out with Mr. Obama's uh, policies and uh, the Democrats uh, were in office and Mr. Obama uh, were a Republican, which uh, basically he is. Uh, the Democrats would be protesting. But they're in a confusion now. They think, well, we have a Democratic president. We can't really oppose him. So uh, this lets the Republicans pose as uh, populists in sheep's clothing uh, and uh, make all of the arguments, saying we're on the side of the people. Look at the Tea Partiers. Uh, it's uh, politics turned inside out. Are you then saying that Obama is getting away with stuff that even George Bush couldn't get away with? That seems to be his role. Uh, at the point where uh, the public had run out of patience with George Bush uh, acting on behalf of Wall Street and the financial sector uh, with the Paulson and uh, Bernanke uh, $13 trillion bailout, they needed a friendly face to do it. And the only way that you can continue to give more money to Wall Street and to the uh, financial sector generally is to say that uh, you're for the people, uh, to do it with a friendly face, uh, to smile, uh, to be very adept and, and easygoing. Uh, that's the only way that you can continue to pursue an anti-populist, uh, pro-financial policy. Now, you just uh, mentioned the $13 trillion. We all know that $700 billion constituted the TARP, that is the Troubled Asset Relief Program, of which some at least is being repaid to the government. But where does the $13 trillion come in? This or, focus or, on the TARP is uh, simply saying, look at this little amount, don't look at the big amount. For instance, the Federal Reserve has uh, given $2 trillion worth of cash for trash swaps. Uh, the government has uh, bailed out AIG for $185 billion. Uh, it's taken over the uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac for $5.3 trillion. Uh, Nomi prints almost every month, uh, now updates the charts that she put in It Takes a Trillage on, uh, line, and she gives a running, uh, total of all of the, uh, 13 trillion that actually began as much more. The, uh, Wall Street Journal last week came out with a 21 trillion dollar giveaway, uh, so that what, uh, the Obama administration has done really is, uh, triple the, uh, public debt. And, uh, that's why Mr. Obama said, okay, we've given so much money to Wall Street with this giveaway that we have to stop, uh, spending on the real economy. So he promises that uh, next year there will be a three-year freeze on government spending, on social services, on counter-cyclical spending, and on the kind of deficit spending that Keynesian economists uh, said is necessary uh, to pull employment out of recession. So essentially his message could be summarized, Obama to the economy, drop dead. Uh, he's supporting his constituency his major contributors in the uh, financial, insurance, and real estate sector uh, against uh, the real economy. Uh, and he's stopping it. And this is something that no Republican could have got away with without being thrown out of office. 
Now, you said it takes a trillage. Now, I know she wrote a book called It Takes a Pillage. Is the pillage... Oh, pillage, that's it. She kept changing. Uh, she kept changing the title. I'm sorry. Originally, it was uh, trillage, and she changed the pillage. Uh, I was uh, remembering her original title. Oh, I thought maybe that uh, the pillage had uh, uh, segued into a trillage. No, so obviously she sat down with her publishers, and somebody decided that uh, a pillage was better than trillage. I see. So I have to go with her decision there. Uh, You say that the fix was in with the Democrats regarding the reappointment of Bernanke uh, to another term of the Fed chief before Obama even gave his speech. How did you know that? Well, he'd uh, worked all weekend long, uh, according to the newspaper, uh, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, all said that he'd been calling senators, the Democratic senators, to say that uh, he thought the Republicans might uh, strike a populist pose in opposing Mr. Bernanke because he's so pro-Wall Street and deregulatory. So um, the problem was that a lot of the Democratic senators believed what Mr. Obama said, and they believed that he wanted actually to uh, set up Elizabeth Warren's uh, consumer financial products agency. Well, Mr. Bernanke had said that uh, the centerpiece of his uh, ideology was to oppose the uh, Consumer uh, uh, Financial Products Agency. Uh, His argument is the old neoclassical junk economics argument that if you have truth in lending or other government regulations or anti-usury laws, uh, this will increase the cost to Wall Street and they'll just pass the cost on to uh, consumers. Uh, This shows an absolute ignorance of the concept of economic rent, the whole concept of classical economics, uh, what every first-year student learns, uh, Mr. Bernanke pretends not to know. And uh, he's just deliberately either lying or he'd flunk a beginning economics course. And uh, nobody in the uh, Congress stood up to him and said, what you're giving is junk economics. How dare you say that uh, protecting consumers and truth in lending is going to make uh, consumers pay more? Uh, Mr. Bernanke says anti-usury laws will make consumers pay higher interest rates. This is crazy. This is deregulatory uh, sort of philosophy. This is Ronald Reagan and uh, George Bush stuff. And uh, the fact that he can get away with it and that Mr. Obama is supporting him uh, should dispel any thought that uh, Mr. Obama is uh, talking straight when he talks to the people. In an earlier article of yours called Wall Street's Power Grab, the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission Hearings, you say that Haiti's earthquake knocked the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission hearings off the front pages. What were those commission hearings? Well, uh, the uh, Congress had uh, started to have hearings on uh, how was the $13 trillion of bailout money uh, given away? Uh, What was happening here? And uh, they were having really exciting hearings uh, with uh, key uh, state uh, prosecutors uh, talking about the financial fraud that uh, had occurred in Illinois, New York, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, and how uh, Mr. Obama had uh, fought against prosecuting fraud, how he was defending the financial criminals, and how he was making it impossible for the government to uh, stop financial crime. And uh, uh, just as uh, they were testifying before these congressional committees, 
the earthquake in Haiti uh, just took up almost the entire news hour of most of the television broadcasts, took up most of the papers, and so there was hardly any uh, discussion in the uh, press or in the media uh, about the expose of uh, Mr. Obama's uh, hypocritical action, and uh, the state prosecutors were just desperate to let people know uh, that Mr. Obama was on the side of the financial crooks, uh, protecting them and uh, taking his anti-consumer and anti-labor stance. That all came out in the hearings. All of this has been published, and I cite all of the uh, testimony that was given and uh, some of the things that were said. Well, yes, according to your article, Wall Street's Power Grab, you mentioned uh, blocking uh, the creation of a consumer protection agency. Uh, That's now at the top of uh, the president's agenda. He wants to make sure that when he tells people he's going to protect the consumers, he wants to make sure that Congress doesn't actually uh, enact such a law, or that if uh, Congress does it, the Senate uh, won't pass it, or that it will all be sort of uh, pushed out. And over the last year, the financial sector lobbyists have been very active on Wall Street, uh, pressuring uh, politicians uh, to scuttle the law, and it looks like uh, they've succeeded. As well, uh, in these uh, Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission hearings, you point out that uh, that they were exposing um, that uh, he was going to avert any thought of reenacting Glass-Steagall. That's, uh, above all things, uh, that's the key. Uh, unless Glass-Steagall or something like it is uh, reenacted, you're going to have uh, banks needing bailouts again and again and again because of the uh, just the pure mathematics of compound interest uh, growing and growing. This is why uh, Mr. Obama very quickly right after the uh, defeat in the uh, Massachusetts senatorial race, uh, he trotted out uh, the old Chase Manhattan, uh, my boss's boss in Chase Manhattan, Paul Volcker, and uh, had him uh, stand by him while saying we've got to uh, uh, redraw these lines. Uh, but that's only for public consumption because uh, Mr. Volcker had been sidelined for the last year, uh, sort of put in the back office, nobody paying any attention to him, as the Wall Street Journal pointed out. Uh, and after there was that very quick uh, attempt to uh, make up for the losses uh, in Massachusetts, uh, you now hear very little from Mr. Volcker again. And the financial sector wants to make sure that there's further consolidation and across-the-board mergers to make it impossible for any government agency uh, to move against them or to regulate them. And uh, so nobody's really expecting any uh, reintroduction of Glass-Steagall or any separation of powers uh, between the financial sector, the insurance sector, and uh, the investment in commercial banking. Right, and I guess I should have mentioned uh, that the main thing that Glass-Steagall did was was separate commercial from investment banking, right? Um, I read somewhere that uh, someone was speculating that the reason that Volcker was uh, given an appointment was that so he couldn't be a critic from the outside. That's part of it. If you appoint uh, somebody as uh, 
one of your advisors, uh, it makes it very difficult politically for the advisors to begin going out in the newspaper and giving interviews saying how bad your policy is. So uh, what uh, Mr. Obama did was appoint Mr. Volcker as an advisor, then ignore him, and uh, that pretty much sterilized Mr. Volcker's ability uh, to go and say, wait a minute, what uh, the country needs is a Glass-Steagall Act, just the opposite of uh, what Mr. Obama is uh, promoting. So essentially, he neutralized any uh, public relations uh, and political effort that Mr. Volcker might be able to make. I don't think Mr. Volcker's a troublemaker in any case and wouldn't do it, but this just made sure that uh, taking him on as an advisor is what, uh, I guess, uh, President Johnson said of J. Edgar Hoover. He'd rather have him inside the tent pissing out than outside pissing in. That's right. I guess I read that in one of your articles about right. Volcker. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, Obama's Republican Class War Presidency. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, getting back to Obama's State of the Union uh, speech, uh, you point out that, uh, generally speaking, it's Obama's claim that Main Street simply cannot prosper without creating hundreds of Wall Street billionaires. This is a wonderful trickle-down philosophy uh, that he has. And that's the great myth, that somehow uh, the host needs the parasite on its back or it can't live. Somehow that uh, the workers and industry really need the rich people to... Uh, to get richer and richer because they're the people who create the jobs. Uh, this is the idea that uh, Thomas Malthus of population theory fame had 200 years ago when he came out in his Principles of Political Economy and said, look, it's really good that we have a rich, uh, idle landlord class because if we didn't have the landlords collecting all this rent, who would buy the buggies? Who would buy all the fine fashions? Who would employ all of the servants and the butlers and everybody else? You really need the richer the rest of your economy would just uh, have insufficient demand and you'd be in a slump. Uh, this essentially is the program of uh, Mr. Bernanke and uh, Mr. Obama. They say, uh, we need Wall Street to uh, collect all this money from us as debt service because if Americans didn't go further and further into debt, how would they uh, make savings for the rich people that help uh, build all of our factories? Well, obviously, uh, Wall Street is not building factories. Wall Street is dismantling factories and moving them abroad uh, to make money. So this whole trickle-down philosophy uh, really went out with the Eisenhower administration. And all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Obama, of all people, the Democrats, are uh, uh, reintroducing it. And uh, to anyone who remembers uh, what used to be said or who has a knowledge of the history of economic thought, uh, this is just junk economics. Well, yes, along that line, in another article of yours, uh, the Bernanke reappointment, Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid, you point out that the wealthiest 10% of the population save most of their money. Their savings are lent out to the bottom 90% or gambled in derivatives or other zero-sum activities in which their gain, if they make any, is some other party's loss. That's right. What uh, Wall Street claims is, uh, wait a minute, uh, what builds all of your factories? Uh, what employs you? People's savings, and the economy isn't saving more. What we have to do is cut taxes on wealth and cut taxes on savers even more so that uh, they'll have enough money to uh, save and they won't waste it uh, employing people or government spending 
spending on Medicare, or, uh, government spending on public services or infrastructure. We've got to cut taxes on the rich so they'll have more money to save. Well, what they don't look at is the fact that gross savings uh, are as high as they've ever been in the U.S. economy. They're about 18% of national income. But all of this uh, Growth saving almost is done uh, either by the wealthiest uh, uh, 10% of the population or it's forced savings by labor in the form of the Social Security and pension and Medicare uh, pre-savings that isn't really available for spending. So uh, this money is uh, lent out by the wealthiest 10% to the bottom uh, 90% or in the case of the uh, Social Security and Medicare Trust Fund, the money is uh, lent out to the government so that it can cut taxes on the upper brackets. So all of this is a kind of patter talk, an excuse to cut taxes on the rich, and essentially it's put the class war in business. So when uh, the Obama administration and Mr. Bernanke and uh, his other advisors uh, say that we need more saving and more incentives uh, for the rich. Uh, this is class war talk. Now, uh, you also say, uh, with regard to his uh, State of the Union speech, that instead of helping debtors, most of us, Mr. Obama has moved to heal the creditors. That's right. L- let's take the situation as it was a year ago when he took office. Uh, debts were far in excess of the ability of most people to pay. For instance, one quarter of American real estate, not only uh, homes uh, by consumers, but also office buildings, is in negative equity. That means that uh, people owe more of a mortgage on their homes or buildings than the property's worth. Now, under normal conditions in the past, for the last 4,000 years, uh, when people owe more than they have to pay, the debts are wiped out. There's a transfer of property. Uh, One way or another, the debts are reduced to the ability to pay. Uh, That's sort of a basic mathematical principle. But what uh, the Obama policy is, which is being pursued by Mr. Bernanke, is let's reinflate the economy. Let's give government programs to subsidize new home buyers to afford to bid higher prices for homes so that we can get this property out of negative equity so that the banks won't take a loss. But instead of saving the banks uh, from taking a loss on these uh, mortgages, uh, they're telling people, don't walk away from your mortgages. Even if you owe more, whatever you do, don't do what Donald Trump does. Don't do what Tishman Spire does. Don't do what any Wall Street and real estate owner did. Uh, And in fact, what Goldman Sachs did last week, they walk away from their mortgages uh, when they're in negative equity, when they're not worth paying. Uh, Take the case in New York. Uh, recently, the largest residential investment uh, in housing uh, in the United States is uh, Stuyvesant Town, which uh, was built after World War II by uh, MetLife. Uh, they got uh, CalPERS, the California Employees Union, the Church of England, and other people, and went to them and said, we have a wonderful deal. Uh, we're going to buy the largest residential development, and we're going to kick the people out. We're going to throw people who've lived there 30 years onto the street, despite the fact that these are largely public sector employees that live in Stuyvesant Town, just like your public sector employees in California. We're going to throw them out, illegally raise rent, uh, stop service 
services, and we're going to make a mint for you by doing this. So the Church of England and Calpri said, that's a wonderful idea. Let's screw the uh, the renters and do it. Well, it turned out that uh, the renters uh, went to court in New York and said, these guys are breaking the law. And the judge ended up uh, fining Tishman Spire, the large uh, real estate investment firm, for uh, its illegal actions. Uh, the mayor said, oh, my God, this is a crisis. If you apply the law to protect consumers, to protect renters, you're going to uh, bankrupt all of these financial investors. Uh, the case is still in the court. Nobody knows uh, what rent the people are owning. But uh, meanwhile, Tishman Spire said, we're walking away from the property. Thank God that although it's a $5 billion property, we only put $112 million of our own money in there. So uh, we're losing it, but all these other guys are losing it. Thank, thank God it's them, not us. Thank God that uh, most of the loss, uh, half a trillion, is uh, the California workers. They've lost. Uh, the Church of England's lost uh, $100 million. Uh, and other investors have also been wiped out. They've walked away. The uh, way to cure the uh, consumer problem in the United States for many homeowners would be if they would do just what Tishman Speyer and uh, Goldman Sachs and other firms do and say, the negative equity, we're going to walk away from the house, uh, we're not liable, uh, give it back to the bank, and then uh, we'll buy it back for uh, 50 cents on the dollar, or if you're in Nevada or Florida, 30 cents on the dollar, and uh, we'll save the money. Why should we uh, pay the bank more than a property is worth? That's crazy. Wall Street wouldn't do it. Uh, economic rationality uh, says uh, don't do it. The fact is that most uh, homeowners do not act in the way that textbooks say an economic rational person would act. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I think I've said it before on your program, uh, bankers discovered that the poor are honest. That means that they believe they should repay the debts. Uh, this is like saying the poor are suckers because Wall Street never pays its debts if it can avoid it. In fact, Wall Street tries to avoid putting its own money in uh, projects at all and prefers to use uh, other people's money, especially pension fund money or mutual fund money uh, and uh, Church of England money and uh, California employees' money and uh, gamble with that. And that basically is uh, what's been happening now. Well, uh, the idea of the uh, Obama administration and Bernanke is let's reinflate the market. If we give more money to home buyers on easier credit terms, then they can begin to bid up the price of property and get the banks out of this negative equity situation so that we can protect ourselves from homeowners acting rationally and just walking away uh, from the property and buying an identical uh, home somewhere else at half the price. Uh, that's what the whole uh, real estate and financial issue is in the United States today. Right. So what, what they're saying, what the government is saying, is that saving the system means saving the bubble economy. That's what they mean. Not saving industry, uh, not saving the industrial economy, but continue to uh, save a bubble. And the problem with the bubble is it has to keep growing exponentially because all of these debts, uh, the mortgage debts and the uh, uh, consumer loans and the uh, loans to uh, students all bear interest. And as the interest is paid to the banks, the banks turn around 
and they relend this uh, out to find yet new borrowers. So they have to keep finding a wider and wider uh, array of borrowers to uh, take this credit on. And uh, this means the debt grows all the more. And uh, the debts grow faster than the economy's ability to pay. Something has to give. And at a point, the debts will be written down. Um, and if you want a dress rehearsal of what this will look at, you look at countries like Latvia or Iceland, where real estate prices have fallen by 70%, uh, where the government is told to close down hospitals, close down schools, the economy's bankrupt. Uh, this should be looked at as the dress rehearsal for what's happening here, because it's in countries like Latvia and the other post-Soviet economies, where the Obama team has had completely free play to design the economies from scratch. Uh, this is the uh, Larry Summers crowd of Rubenomics uh, advisors, uh, Geithner, Summers, and the rest, that uh, had the free hand in deindustrializing Russia and essentially wrecking its economy and driving it bankrupt and uh, leaving it in the uh, state that it's in today. Uh, you look at what uh, the Obama crowd did in Russia uh, and the Latvia, the Baltics, uh, and the others that are now insolvent, and you'll see exactly the same game plan that they're trying to do for the United States. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show... Obama's Republican Class War Presidency. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you say that saving the system means saving a mess. Could you explain that? The mess is the debt. The mess is the uh, uh, debt in excess of the ability to be paid. Uh, that if the government is going to keep going to the banks, uh, as the Fed has done with $2 trillion and said, give us your junk mortgages, no questions asked, we're going to give you U.S. Uh, Treasury bonds uh, for them uh, so that your balance sheet is not going to have to take a loss. Uh, well, then you're going to have uh, bad private sector debts, these junk mortgages, and in almost every uh, package of mortgage, you have, con- you have consumer fraud involved. Uh, all of a sudden, you have uh, the government, uh, the Treasury, creating $2 trillion worth of government bonds, turning them over to the Fed that gives them to the Wall Street banks and takes on the junk. That's why it's called a cash-for-trash uh, swap. Well, that's what's increasing the federal debt. The federal debt is not increasing in the way that uh, Keynes talked about, uh, running a budget deficit and spending on infrastructure and hiring people to uh, raise wage levels. Uh, It's done in a way that uh, doesn't raise wage levels at all, but simply uh, keeps the uh, debt bubble growing. But it replaces the private debt with a public debt. So now American taxpayers which doesn't mean Wall Street, uh, are going to have to pay higher and higher taxes to uh, pay the interest charges on this debt. And the interest charges are going to crowd out the ability of the government to spend on social services, on infrastructure. And that's exactly why Mr. Obama said, we've given so much to Wall Street, there's no money left for the people. There's a freeze. And that's why he said he wants to get the Republicans on board uh, to make a bipartisan committee, which means the Republican committee, uh, to freeze the budget. Well, the Republicans are smart enough to say, wait a minute, you Democrats have enough votes uh, to do this. You control Congress. We don't want any 
part of it. We want to go to the people and say, hey, folks, we don't want to freeze. We're on your side. And uh, stick the Democrats with all of this uh, anti-labor, uh, anti-consumer, uh, pro-Wall Street action. So the Republicans are positioning themselves very nicely for this November's midterm elections uh, to say that they're the good guys and to depict uh, Obama's crowd as uh, the oligarchy. The claim is made that matters would have been worse if the banks had not been bailed out. What do you think of this claim? They would have been worse for the upper 10% of the population uh, that owns the banks. Uh, they would have been worse for the bank's uh, stockholders and the bank owners. Uh, if the banks wouldn't have been bailed out, they couldn't have given these $100 million uh, bonuses. They wouldn't have been able to uh, give the money to the bankers that they've used to buy yachts, that they've used to buy the art market. There would have gone the art market. There would have gone the yacht market. Uh, already prices in the Hamptons, uh, where a lot of the rich people live, are uh, going down. Uh, the economy would have been just fine. Uh, and this is one of the problems that uh, immediately the Wall Street Journal picked up uh, from the uh, hearings on uh, Geithner and uh, basically Geithner and Bernanke and Paulson uh, last uh, Wednesday. The Wall Street Journal virtually accused them of uh, perjury uh, because uh, Mr. Geithner and Mr. Paulson said, uh, if we wouldn't have bailed out AIG, uh, the junk insurance company, then uh, there would have been a meltdown of the entire economy because AIG, being an insurance company, uh, insures people's houses. And what would people have done about their house insurance and their car insurance? Well, the Wall Street Journal uh, immediately on the editorial page quoted from testimony uh, last year where the New York Insurance Administrator said, wait a minute, we have in insurance the equivalent of a Glass-Steagall Act. We've segregated the uh, bread and butter operations of the insurance company, uh, AIG, from their gambling operations, uh, the derivative trade and the uh, default swaps that are done mainly out of their London office. As a matter of fact, uh, the New York Insurance Administrator testified, we have uh, so much uh, money that I was going to recommend that uh, the New York uh, branch of the AIG insurance people give uh, $20 billion uh, back to AIG of just extra savings they don't need. But of course, now he's not going to uh, because he realizes that uh, <laughs> the kind of people that are in charge there. Uh, so the Wall Street Journal said, wait a minute, how can uh, Mr. Paulson and Mr. Geithner say that they had to bail out AIG for $185 billion? Otherwise, there would have been a disaster for the consumers. It's all for the little guy. When uh, you have the uh, local consumer uh, insurance administrator saying, no problem at all. These were uh, well-funded, completely protected. So uh, one didn't hear any uh, response yet to uh, last week's Wall Street Journal editorials, but they're quite right. Now, I think it's ironic that you have the nation's leading business paper that's exposing the pro-Wall Street uh, distortions uh, that the Obama team is making, uh, Geithner and uh, uh, other people, instead of the usual left-wing press or the, uh, the labor press, which has sort of been uh, silenced by the fact that, well, wait a minute, we don't want to say anything bad against the Democrats. They're supposed to be working for us, when obviously uh, they're not working uh, for them, at least the Corporate Democrats uh, are not working for the uh, traditional Democratic constituencies, uh, the labor unions, the consumers, and the other people uh, uh, who normally vote Democratic. 
Well, right. Now, was AIG's insurance business really ready to collapse? No. Only the derivatives business to Wall Street, uh, the gambling business, would collapse. And even then, it probably wasn't, because these derivatives, uh, the Wall Street Journal points out, nobody really knows what they're worth, because there's no uh, regulation of them. There's no regulation of them, and there's no uh, public market trade. So there's no market price of these. Basically, you had... uh, Goldman Sachs say, we think these uh, junk mortgages are a lot worth because it turns out that we've been insuring uh, mortgages that have a lot of consumer fraud in it because the government, uh, and specifically Mr. Bernanke, has refused to prosecute consumer fraud. So we have a lot of consumer fraud on the book. So uh, we think the mortgages that we've got swaps are worth, uh, you better pay us uh, uh, $14 billion. Well, AIG said, wait a minute, uh, they're not that bad. And in fact, it now looks like uh, Goldman and other uh, Wall Street firms want to pay much more than that for these things. They weren't all, all worth this. But the government said, whatever Goldman Sachs says they're worth, we're going to pay 100 cents on the dollar. Now, the interesting thing is there was uh, another company that went bankrupt a few months before that the Fed paid only 20 cents on the dollar, but those weren't the Democratic campaign contributors. Those weren't the Obama crowd. They were people who didn't contribute to the Obama campaign or the other campaign. They were not paid 80% of the of the price. So the Wall Street Journal said, wait a minute, this is pay to play. This is what uh, governors are going to jail for in New Jersey. These guys are crooks. And uh, it looks to me like they have a pretty good case. Well, right. And I thought, well, according to what you've written, they were AIG was actually paid a hundred cents on the dollar yep. for the securities worth about that's, a fifth as much. That's right. That's what the testimony uh, was, and that's what the Wall Street Journal is saying. So the irony is, you're getting all of this uh, critique of financial crime from the business press itself. Because they realize that American industry is uh, stuck if they turn over control of the economy from the manufacturing sector, from agriculture. If they turn it all over to Wall Street, these guys are a gang. That's why uh, Franklin Roosevelt called them banksters. Uh, That sort of gets uh, the idea across. They'll take whatever they can get, and as long as they're in charge of approving Uh, whoever is appointed the financial administrator, they're going to uh, insist that uh, whoever is the head of the Fed be uh, sort of a useful idiot like uh, Mr. Bernanke, who really believes uh, the guff that he's coming out about this trickle-down theory and deregulation and uh, you have to let the market uh, rule, meaning the uh, Wall Street insiders are going to essentially be deciding how much uh, the government's supposed to bail it out for. And uh, this is what Iceland did uh, on its way to collapse. Uh, There are a lot of uh, dress rehearsals in recent times about countries that have gone down this route, and that's what America's going down. So was it really necessary to not let AIG go bankrupt? No, the best thing would have been, uh, the economy would have been much better off had AIG gone bankrupt, and had most of these Wall Street firms gone bankrupt, including Citibank. The problem is that the people who own uh, these firms, uh, in Citibank, it's largely the Arab countries uh, that have been putting in money, Kuwait and Arab republics, uh, nothing would have been uh, hurt at all had this wealthiest 1% of the population lost uh, some of its gamblers. Uh, I think I've said before on your show, in order to uh, play the derivative trade, in order to have a hedge fund or to undertake these contracts, you have to sign an agreement saying, I'm rich enough that I can afford to lose all my money and I'll be okay. So the economy would have been okay. 
what has happened meanwhile is that the Congressional Research Service said that uh, in 1979, the richest 1% of the population had 37% of the revenue from wealth. And by 2004, 25 years later, uh, this proportion had gone up to 57%. In other words, 1% of the population in America has increased its uh, take by 20 percentage points to 57%. It's probably about two-thirds right now uh, of the wealth going to 1%. Uh, if you're going to have a democracy, if you're going to restore the kind of income and wealth distribution that you've had throughout uh, most of the 20th century, the best thing that would happen would be to let the bad debts go, which means uh, you, you let the debts go. Every debt has savings by somebody on the opposite side of the balance sheet, and these savings are mainly by the wealthiest 1% to 10%. Uh, the best thing would have been for them to lose all of their predatory taking. Instead, the Obama administration has come out on the side of the predators against uh, the real economy, the production and consumption economy. You've mentioned Obama's proposed freeze on discretionary spending, but Obama is not proposing to freeze military or homeland security spending. Why not? Uh, Well, for one thing, uh, he doesn't want to take on uh, the Pentagon or the right wing. Uh, He essentially wants to get the right wing uh, to support him because he realizes that as the economy uh, shrinks more and more, as unemployment rises and living standards fall, uh, the right wing is going to be his constituency. You write that Wall Street is not the economy. It is a superstructure of credit and money management privileges positioned to extract as much as it can while threatening to close down the economy if it doesn't get its way. Does Wall Street play any constructive role in the real economy? Uh, It it does provide... uh the means of payment, like credit card. It used to be that uh, the government would provide uh, uh, the currency, and when people would go to the store, they'd spend currency. But now they spend credit cards, and uh, Wall Street controls the credit cards. The government has let the money creation function and the money uh, transfer function uh, out of its hands to be privatized. Uh, So you have the credit card companies that are now charging up to 30% interest, and they make even more money on uh, penalties and fees and they make an interest even with their 30% rate. So you've given this sort of toll-bow fee, this rent payment for money, over to Wall Street. Yes, people need to use uh, uh, some means of payment when they go to the store to buy groceries or buy other things. Wall Street supplies that. People need to have bank accounts. They need to have somewhere to save their money. Wall Street supplies that. But uh, in the last uh, few years, ever since Clinton, and essentially uh, most of the problems come from uh, the Clinton administration, not from Obama, not from Bush, but from Clinton, and uh, his uh, repeal of Glass-Steagall in 1999, uh, what happened is that these commercial banks that in the past provided these basic services of checking accounts and normal credit cards have all become financial parasites by merging with predatory real estate lenders, uh, predatory investment bankers, and uh, they've become something entirely different from what they were uh, 10 years ago. So the problem is that over and above, uh, wrapped around these basic essentials, 
that uh, banks provide, they've all of a sudden taken on uh, their basic identity from more and more parasitic, purely extractive activities that don't add anything to the means of production or to the real economy, but merely siphon off, rake off uh, charges and fees for everything they provide. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show... Obama's Republican class war presidency. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you mentioned that Americans could, if they so chose, walk away from mortgages that are underwater, that is, mortgages on their homes in which they owe more than the property is now worth. But I read in one of your articles that you say that Europeans don't have that option. That's right. The American law is pretty unique. Uh, during the Depression, it's obvious uh, that if you had people having to pay uh, the mortgages on their homes, you'd have most of the American public uh, in the 1930s would have had to pay all of their wage income uh, for the mortgages. They would have ended up in debt peonage. So America and uh, various provinces of Canada got rid of the personal liability for mortgages, just like a corporation or a real estate owner uh, can walk away. Europe doesn't have anything like this. And uh, almost all the European countries, uh, if they uh, don't pay their mortgage, uh, they're personally liable for the difference between what the uh, bank can get for the apartment if it forecloses and uh, what the mortgage is owed. So uh, I, uh, for instance, talked to people in Latvia. And uh, one woman, for instance, had worked for a uh, charitable foundation there. She lost her job as part of the Latvian uh, budget cutbacks. And uh, she couldn't afford to pay her mortgage, so she tried to sell it. But the apartment was only worth uh, maybe 30% of what she'd paid for it. Uh, She uh, can't move out because if she moved out, the bank would sell it. At a, a Swedish bank has the mortgage uh, at a very low price, and then uh, they'd have a claim against her income for the rest of her life for the equivalent of 70% of uh, the house value that simply isn't there. And she'd be working the rest of her life to make the bank whole on a mortgage that it uh, never should have made in the first place because it didn't really care uh, how much of a mortgage it gave because it knew that it could essentially turn uh, the mortgage borrowers, the homeowners, into a debt slave. So uh, the girls tried to take in other women as uh, roommates and still can't uh, pay the mortgage. And uh, this is a situation that's uh, the case throughout Latvia, Iceland, Hungary, uh, all of these uh, countries where the real estate bubble has burst uh, and uh, people owe a lot more than they uh, they can pay. The thought is that uh, for the rest of their life, they're going to have to not only pay to live somewhere else because they will have lost their house, but over and above the money they pay, they'll have to pay for the old uh, mortgage on their old house, and uh, there won't be any money left to uh, break even for uh, food, clothing, or other. So uh, Europe now looks like it's going into a chronic uh, depression, and that's one reason that the euro has uh, been going down uh, in value, uh, and why other currencies, no matter how bad the U.S. economy is, other currencies, uh, sterling and the euro, have such even worse financial system uh, that they're all going down together which is why uh, European and American money managers are all putting their money into Asia or third world countries where they don't have this kind of debt peonage. 
Yes, you write that New Europe's debt strains are threatening to break up the core euro currency area. Could you explain that? Well, right now, uh, a condition of uh, joining the euro by the post-Soviet economies and by Iceland is that they maintain a stable exchange rate between their currencies, uh, which is still local, and the euro. Uh, they'd planned on joining in a few years. But now, uh, all of a sudden, they're uh, unable to pay uh, their mortgage debts. And almost all of the mortgage debts and business debts owed by these countries are owed to banks outside of these countries. For instance, the uh, Soviet economies, like Latvia, the Baltics, uh, didn't have any banks of their own when they uh, achieved their independence from Russia in 1991. So they they uh, uh, had essentially foreign banks came in. And uh, the Swedish banks came into the Baltics. Uh, the old Austrian banks uh, came into Hungary and Central Europe. And so uh, these countries owe a lot of money to foreign banks. They can't pay. They're defaulting. And the only way that they can uh, pay these banks is by uh, borrowing from the European Union or the International Monetary Fund. Well, uh, the EU says that in order to borrow... They have to cut back their spending on hospitals, cut back their schooling, cut back their public spending. And uh, this is leading not only to economic shrinkage at home, but to uh, emigration. Uh, in Latvia, for instance, the uh, lifespans have shortened by 10 years since independence. Uh, there were 200 hospitals at the time of independence. Uh, last year, there were seven. The IMF says that's too many. Now you can only have three. You've got to stop your emergency service. There's no money. So in order to pay the banks, these countries are having just to act uh, uh, as brutally as a military invader would act. And that's why in Russia, President Putin said that the effect of the uh, Clinton-Obama team has been as damaging to Russia as all of World War II. In World War II, Russia lost 20 million population. It's lost more as a result of the Rubenomics, neoliberalism, more uh, tens of millions of people than it lost in all World War II through shortening lifespans, suicide, declining health, heart attacks, uh, brain seizures, uh, diseases of economic tension associated with poverty and economic polarization. Uh, the effect of uh, neoliberalism has been the effect of war. So the Americans, having won the Cold War, now want to destroy these economies and destroy the population. And the way they're doing it is through the same neoliberal policies that this team is now imposing on the American population. Well, right. I was just about ready to say that's what they're doing to America as well. Yes. So the anticipation is that lifespans are going to shorten here. You're already having either an emigration or the first line of it is uh, re-emigration of immigrants, uh, immigrants who came to this country for jobs. For instance, uh, Indian uh, computer programmers in Silicon Valley are moving back to India, uh, Chinese graduates here, uh, in the sciences and biology and physics are going back to China. You're having a reverse immigration uh, from here. Uh, just as in Iceland, for instance, the first effect of the austerity, uh, even before the Icelandic young people began to emigrate, was the foreign workers went home. Same thing in Ireland. 
uh, before the Irish have begun to emigrate again. They've sent all of the uh, Baltic workers and uh, the foreign workers home. So uh, you're having this demographic effect uh, beginning in the United States that you've already had in the most seriously indebted uh, European economies. What do you think of Iceland's refusal so far to uh, repay the loans of the Icelandic banks that went belly up? These were uh, debts owed by private bankers, insured by a private uh, banking scheme, and there's no reason at all for a public uh, sector to be liable for private sector debt. So they're quite right not to pay. And to sum up, what do you think overall of Obama's State of the Union speech? It's a speech that a Republican president could have given, and uh, it's a speech that is said just the opposite of what he was promising a year ago. What he'd promised was change, and what he's delivered is the antithesis of change. He's uh, delivered, really, the third uh, Bush administration, or you could look at it as the fifth Clinton administration. Uh, There's just a seamless continuity, not only with the policies, but with the very same individuals that were operating under the last two administrations. What about the Federal Reserve's charter? Aren't isn't the Fed supposed to be protecting the consumer and stabilizing prices? The first uh, part of its charter says that it's supposed to promote uh, full employment and stabilize prices. Uh, under Mr. Bernanke, it does just the opposite. Uh, Mr. Bernanke follows Alan Greenspan in saying, "Well, uh, it only means consumer prices and wages. We do want to keep wages down. Uh, we don't want to keep housing prices down. We want." Uh, Uh, housing prices to go up more and more because when new homeowners have to spend more and more on their homes and more and more of their income to pay their mortgages, we call that wealth creation. Well, it certainly creates wealth for Wall Street and for the mortgage bankers, but it doesn't really create more money for uh, homeowners as a whole. All that means is that the price that Americans have to pay for uh, houses or for buying a retirement income, for instance, uh, goes up and up and up. So uh, the Fed has uh, gone against its charter for that. None of this question was brought up in Bernanke's confirmation hearings. They were all treating him uh, with kid clubs. Uh, and in terms of employment, uh, obviously the way to spur employment is to minimize the amount of debt service that people have to pay so that uh, consumers can spend more of their wage income on goods and services that are made by labor. And labor is supposed to buy uh, what it produces. That's what the circular flow means. Uh, But under Mr. Bernanke's management of the Fed, uh, more and more of labor's income goes to pay credit, and that is going to shrink employment. So again, he's using a junk economic model here. Isn't the attempt to keep the bubble economy going, uh, isn't this putting the country in even greater danger than it was in, say, in fall of 2008? The real danger is a slow crash. It's just going down and down and down and down. They haven't really made a new bubble. Uh, In fact, uh, housing prices, as I mentioned earlier, are still about uh, 25% below the level of debt. So uh, what we're having is just a steady tightening of the debt screws. It's like driving a car with your foot uh, pressed heavier and heavier on the brake pedal. Uh, It just is getting slower and slower. The unemployment rate is going up and up. Uh, The Obama administration promised that it would have only 8% unemployment if uh, the Republicans voted for the stimulus bill. And you can imagine last week when the Republicans all pointed out, well, you said, 
said there was going to be 8% unemployment, and it's already over 10%. So they're making hay by pointing out that the economy is going downhill. And the irony is that the Republicans are now able to blame this on the Democrats. Uh, nobody believed that that would be the case a year ago but it is the case. Uh, and so the change that Mr. Obama has brought about is to make things worse and worse, uh, not better and better. And this is creating a split within the Democratic Party itself, within the progressive Democrats, uh, which are a shrinking proportion, and the old uh, Democratic Leadership Council, the Clinton-Rubinomics crowd, uh, that uh, controls most of the campaign contributions from finance and real estate. Uh, so that's the split within the Democrats. And uh, essentially, you're having a political split within this country, and it may even be that the old two-party system is uh, being eroded or is going to be taking a new form in the next few years. But I mean, by trying to keep the system going, they're just making it more dangerous, aren't they? They're just adding to the debt leveraging, and that's going to just uh, divert more and more uh, revenue to pay debt rather than to buy goods and services. So there will be less and less motivation for new investment and less and less employment and lower and lower wages. And we're going into a depression, obviously. Well, that's what it looks like. No, nobody's able to say how we're going to get out. Let's put it that way. Dr. Michael Hudson, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bonnie. There's something happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show has been Obama's Republican Class War Presidency. Michael Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super Imperialism, the Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of The Myth of Aid and Global Fracture, The New International Economic Order. He has written many articles on the current global financial crisis. Dr. Hudson has been a consultant to foreign governments, including Canada, Mexico, Russia, and Latvia. Visit his website at www.michael-hudson.com. That's michael-hudson.com. His articles are also regularly carried at globalresearch.ca, counterpunch.org, and the University of Missouri-Kansas City Economics Department blog at neweconomicperspectives.blogspot.com. That's neweconomicperspectives.blogspot.com. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaramako. To make comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Or call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand 
release. You dig me? You got me? 